Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Normally. High fly ball, deep left field, oh, 27, does it again. For this year. Wall sends it well out to left center field. And it's gone! He went to Jared! Way diving catch, Jolendale! This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels Podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So last time we talked, Angels just walked off and it was Mother's Day. They came back and won. And if you were to ask me if that was going to be the highlight of the week or the highlight of the next like three or four days, I would be like, heck yeah, I would have took it. A walk off to win the game on a, on a, on a play like that, on a game like that, I would have been like, yeah, that's going to be a, a, a play. Angel fans remember for a long time. Well, we had a little bit of history on Tuesday night. A great night, crazy night. So normally, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that I kind of go in order of the games, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, however the games lay out. But this time, because there was so much information and so much stuff that happened on Tuesday night, I want to make sure I get all of it in. So what I'm going to do on this episode is I'm going to go over Monday's game, another great game, another game that would highlight any other podcast, go over that, go over Wednesday's game, and then go over Tuesday's Bananas game, a game that if you were watching TV, like I know so many people were, or you're at the stadium, like I know so many people were. It is a game that will go down in Angels history for so many reasons, and we will get get going on why that is a little bit later. So like I mentioned before, let's get to the first first game and the third game of this series against the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that coming into this series offensively had things clicking offensively, defensively had things going. They were in second place in the NL East. And a team that, you know, traditionally is very feisty, very, you kind of ask yourself, how are they doing this? You know, they don't have huge names. They don't have guys that pop out the the stat books, but yet they seem to always be competitive. They always seem to, you know, win games that you weren't sure how, but that's just how the Rays have been doing it for the last, you know, handful of years since obviously Joe Madden was their manager back in the day. So coming into Angel Stadium, I truly felt that they were the hardest test the Angels had faced in probably close to a month since they faced the uh, Astros out in mid-April. But 
coming into Monday's game, the Angels were, like I mentioned before, kind of walking on walking on sunshine, if you will, um, after that walk off on Mother's Day. And Noah Syndergaard was on the mound to hope that this make this thing keep on rolling. And, you know, they are able to get to him early in the fourth inning, but that would literally be his only mistake. He gives gives up that solo home run all game long to Randy Arozarena. But Jared Walsh would have Noah's back when he comes up in the bottom of the fourth. Jared Walsh drives that one to center field. Back on it is Kiermaier. It's gone. Three-run home run. Jared Walsh. Halos take a 3-1 lead. Noah Syndergaard was settled down after that fourth inning home run, going five and a third innings pitch, giving up seven hits, one earned run, one walk, seven strikeouts on 97 pitches. Those seven strikeouts were his Angels career high, obviously, for this last uh, season. So another really good outing by Noah Syndergaard. You could tell that he didn't have everything working for him. He had to work himself, giving up seven hits. Obviously, he was in uh, some traffic situations throughout the game, but he was able to get out of them, only giving up that one home run to Randy Arozarena and only made it, you know, obviously kept the, the raise to that one run. In the sixth, Trout would come up with Brandon Marsh on base. Oh, did you just call it? And he does! He leaves the yard! A two-run home run! And with that home run, no man, no player has ever hit more at this stadium. Angel Stadium is 161st. He passes Tim Salmon. And before any of the fans could sit down in their seats after that great home run, Shohei Otani comes up and goes back to back. Otani drives that one. Is he looking to go back to back with his buddy Mike Trout? He is. And that's his first home run here this year at the Big A. Let's go have a party. At that point, it, it didn't hit me, but obviously you heard it in the in the call. I did not realize that that was Shohei Otani's first home run at Angel Stadium all year long. And being you know, into the season for a month now, I find that hard to believe, but he wasn't done yet. After a bases loaded walk to Trout to score a run, Shohei comes up again in the seventh and goes yard once more. Otani's never hit a grand slam until now. There he is. 11-3 Angels, second of the night for Shohei Otani. And again, some personal history with Shohei Otani, his first career Grand Slam, not only in the majors, but in his time in Japan, too, which if you follow his time in Japan, it's kind of hard to believe because he was this guy that did have power. You, I guess that just proves that these Grand Slams are kind of not fluky, but in a way kind of lucky because you do need to be in the right situation at the right time with the guys on base and be able to put one over the fence. So. Not only did he hit his first home run of the season at Angel Stadium, but his first career Grand Slam um, this game. And this would be just leading up to his award presentation on Tuesday. But again, we'll get to that a little bit later. But another great game by the Angels. Another strong offensive performance by the Angels. Winning this game 11-3 and getting in the driver's seat 
as far as winning this series against Tampa Bay Rays. Again, a team that coming into this series had a lot of things going for them and was going to, I felt was going to be a really big test for the Angels, not only because of the Rays are who they are, but we're talking about this is the tail end of that 20 games over 20 days kind of streak the Angels have this season, a uh, season-long game streak, if you will. So to get out first and get that victory first, I think was a huge part in kind of building this momentum and finishing strong. I think obviously when you play so many games back-to-back, there's going to be guys that are tired. There's going to be guys that are probably banged up a little bit more. As we learned from obviously David Fletcher going on the IL, we learned about all the catchers going on the IL. That was kind of COVID related. Uh, you know, there was a lot of guys that missed time th- during this 20 game stretch of the Angels. But to come out and show that these uh, secondary guys, minor league guys getting brought up, whether it be uh, Jonathan Diaz, whether it be uh, some of the catchers that came up and performed well. Uh, outfielders that came up and performed well. It showed that maybe there is a little more depth to the Angels system than originally thought. Now, I wouldn't trust some of these guys for 30, 40 games at a time, but it shows that when guys need to be put in certain spots for a short time, one or two games, it does show that they are capable of performing at the level or even above the level that a lot of people think they are at. So like I mentioned before, We'll skip Tuesday for now. Believe me, we will get to that. And we'll just fast forward a little bit to Wednesday, which Wednesday was going to be a really good day, a 4 o'clock start. So you know, uh, if you watch games in the past, those shadows really do kind of affect the batters. They really do affect how well the offense produces on both teams. You know, it's just kind of how the shadows work out when the shadows work through the Angels Stadium. And both pitchers really took advantage of, of that and Otani would be on the mound after his masterful master class uh, appearance if you will in Boston so again a lot of a lot of hype a lot of attention paid to Otani in this outing because it just like with the Houston game when he had a perfect game going late into late into that game I think everyone now gets super psyched to see like what can he do next can he repeat and the one thing about Otani I will say this is that he hasn't really, in my eyes, put... I think this is the first time, I should say. This this time, the Boston game and this game were kind of the first time this season, at least, he's put two really good games back-to-back. Um, you know, you had the, the Houston game, but then the next game was kind of, you know, touch and go. He worked out of it, but it wasn't like a great Otani-type game. And maybe that's part of just Otani's... Um, aura now like you have such high standards for him now so when if he has like an average game or a good game for an average pitcher you're just kind of like uh that's not really the Otani we know we we expect more we we think we can get more from him so it's kind of a gift and a curse at the same time because fans know that Otani can do so much on the mound and when he comes up a little bit short or not even short really let's be honest like if he's just not like the Otani of last outing, people are kind of like, ah, oh, well, I guess he did okay. But in reality, he did really, really well for any other pitcher. So let's get to that Wednesday game. Like Thor on Monday, his only mistake would come early in the game when he gives up a home run in the second inning to make the score 1-0. But Otani would almost be perfect after that, including a very gutsy sixth inning. And if you watch the game, it, it seemed like something was going on, whether it be injury, whether it be just uh, fatigue. I don't know, but 
there's a very good uh, meme going on or video going around that was he was telling the dugout, no, don't come out. Let me finish this. And to Madden's credit, he did let him finish. He did let him finish that sixth inning to get out of it. The one thing about Shohei that's really, really cool is that when you know he's in a tight spot, whether it be uh, runners in scoring position against a top of the lineup kind of guy, you can tell that he is going to give it that extra push. You can tell he's going to ramp up that velocity for for those next couple of pitches. Maybe during the maybe during the game he's sitting, you know, 95, 96. But when he knows there's a big spot coming up or he's in a tight situation, you can see him and you can actually hear him too during the game ramp up to 99 and when he needs it, he calls on it and he gets it most of the time. So he would end up finishing this game with six innings pitched, only giving up two hits, that one earned run in the, that was the home run in the second inning, two walks, five strikeouts on 92 pitches. And it would be 2-0 all the way to the bottom of the eighth when Taylor Ward, who didn't start this game and hadn't, hadn't really played this whole series because he had a, I believe, a tight hamstring that he felt rounding the bases on Sunday during the walk-off victory on Mother's Day. So Monday, he, he sat. Tuesday, they actually said he was feeling a lot better. He wouldn't be on the IL, so, but he still didn't start. And then Wednesday comes out that he's still not starting, but he would be, he's 100% ready to start on Friday against Oakland, but he was available for the Angels in case this type of situation arose where he gets off the, gets off the bench, comes up the plate, and just like that, hits a two-run home run to tie the score at two. And, I mean, I don't know what else this guy can do for the Angels. He is doing so much more than I think anyone, even the, the biggest Angel fan, expected of him. Ward has been a, a solid number two offensive guy behind Trout this whole season. And it's maybe in some ways even even number one. Um it's just been a great, great boost to this offense, a great boost to this team. And you look back on teams that have made great runs in the past, not just angel teams, but just teams in general that make it deep in the playoffs or teams that you know made the playoffs that people weren't necessarily expecting to. There's always those couple of guys that had career years in that season that was unaccounted for when you do the predictions or when you do the, uh, you know, the rankings before the season even starts. It's so hard when you do preseason rankings to find that guy or a couple guys that have, you know, like I mentioned, career years. And it seems like Ward is in the middle of that right now, having an absolute career year for the Angels at the absolute right time. Angels pitching is on point. You got, you know, production from obviously Otani and Trout. And so for him to kind of step into that third spot, um, offensively for the Angels is huge because you know Walsh is going to figure out. I personally still have faith that Rendon's going to come around and and produce, maybe not to the level that he was in Washington, but I don't think he's going to be a negative player, especially with his defensive skills around the diamond. I still think Rendon is going to produce, maybe not, again, too, and part of it is because of the contract and how big that contract is. 
But if you take that away, if you take that off the table and you just look at the production he's going to do to help this team, I think he's still going to be a very crucial part. And then you can worry about the money later. But if the team's winning, the money should be the last thing that anyone should worry about. Let's just get, you know, W's, you know. So I do think Rendon's going to come around. And if you want to blame him for not producing uh, according to his contract, then okay, whatever. But when you look at him compared to maybe the next option at third base, I think he's still going to be that top option for the Angels. And it would stay tied 2-2 to all the way into extra innings, where in the 10th inning, Aaron Loop would come in and give up two hits that would end up scoring two runs for the Rays, putting the score at 4-2. to two. The Angels would come up unsuccessful in the comeback this time, losing the game 4-2, to two, but still take the overall series against the Rays. But like I mentioned before on different podcasts, your hope is to win the series at home and split the ones on the road. And that's exactly what the Angels did. And this ends the Angels' 20 games and 20-day streak. And for what I've seen from this team in that 20 days, I am very excited and very hyped for what's left for this season. And over those 10, those 20 games, the Angels ended up going 13-7. and seven. And like I, like I said before, that's with a lot of guys missing time. You didn't have any of your catchers for this whole series. You you lost a couple guys, top guys out of the bullpen with Bradley and Warren. You've had a kind of a carousel-ish uh, six man ro- in the six-man rotation in that sixth spot, but yet still able to come out six games above 500 over this 20-game stretch without a break. You have an East Coast to West Coast flight and then, bam, having to play the next day. This is very, very positive for this team. And like I mentioned, if you can go 13-7 and seven over 20 games for, for a full season, you're probably going to set some records with, with games won. Um, but this has been a fun time as an Angel fan, and it, it gives you a lot of hope. It gives you a lot of um, excitement to turn on the TV or go to a game or do any of that stuff. Uh, hopefully we do get some of these guys back, whether, you know, Suzuki and Stassi, Warren, Bradley, you know, I think once those guys start coming back, you'll start seeing more and more because those guys are the starters for a reason. Those guys are on the team for a reason. Yeah, guys can step up and be spark plugs, if you will, for uh, a game or two. And Chad Wallach is a great example of that, the catcher. But at the same time, the ones that are starting or on the major league roster are there for a reason. And you kind of trust them longevity wise to continue that level. But when you can plug in guys because of COVID, because of injuries, because of um, all that stuff, and still come out with a record like this, this is very, very exciting for Angel fans. And this is fortunate to see that maybe, you know, some of these guys that are, are hot right now that are being kind of plugged in in certain spots that might not have a, a place when, when the other guys come back, maybe now they can be part of a trade deadline type of move. Maybe obviously not the main piece, but you know, you never know. You never know what, what's going to be that tipping point to make a trade, um, go through, you know, you always kind of have your main guys that are, are going to be part of the deal, but you never know what kind of side side piece, you know, the B list part of the trade will push it over the top. And maybe some of those, these guys that are coming up, um, and pitching, or maybe some of these guys that are coming up and performing at position place, uh, positions can, 
can be those missing pieces in in trade trade talks. So very exciting, a lot of fun. I think Angels have things rolling, and I think a lot of people, obviously on Twitter, and I think just in the Angels, you know, universe fan wise, kind of sees a difference in this team. And it'd be really interesting to see or talk to um, whether it be Jeff Fletcher again or Red Bollinger again. Um, guys that have been following this team for most of the season, been in the locker room. I'd be really interested interested to ask them what they feel the main difference is. Because besides some key additions, you know, Syndergaard, Lorenzen, um, the middle infield guys, uh, Wade and uh, Velasquez, this is a lot of the same team as years past. So, is it something as simple as, you know, Syndergaard brings a different kind of energy into the locker room? Or is, you know, the youth movement, if you will, is that taking over the locker room with Marsh and Velasquez and Detmers and, you know, some of these guys that are under 24? Uh, you know, I'd be really interested to ask them what seems to be the difference. Or is it just, hey, you win, you, you're happy, and you are able to kind of continue to be happy with the more you win. So, that's something really interesting to kind of look ahead to and see how this team kind of plays out is if they go on a streak or a losing streak. Is that excitement and kind of um, attitude still there? Because every team will go on a losing streak. Every team will. The best teams go on losing streaks. How does how will this team respond to that? And that's something I'm really um, interested in seeing as the season uh, kind of goes on. Now, obviously, I left out the huge historic Tuesday night game. And after these commercials, we're going to get into it, get into the whole day from pregame to postgame and all the kind of crazy little factoids that came out afterwards because Tuesday was an absolute bananas game. So hold on. Well, I'll be right back after this. Today's episode of the All Angels podcast is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sportstream is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They are here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like Sportstream without the vowels. Let me talk about our next sponsor, ColorCast. ColorCast is a live, audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and free to use. Talk to fans, athletes, and interact in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. All you need to do is download the ColorCast app free in the iOS app store. Create a profile and link your Twitter. That's all. Come with your spectacular takes. All right. Let's get to it. Tuesday's game started out with an awesome pregame festivities with Shohei Otani getting his MVP award. Honestly, he just got a bunch of awards out there from last year. Everything from his MVP award, his Silver Slugger award, the ESPY award, like an LA Times Sportsman Award. I mean, there was awards out on that table for last year's Shohei Otani performance that I didn't even know were given out. But that table, and I'm sure there's pictures of it floating around on Angel's Twitter and just a lot of people probably reposted it and stuff like that. But there was a lot, a lot, a lot of awards 
on that table for Shohei Otani. And then you had Terry Smith down there with the kind of like intro talking about Otani, um, you know, kicking it to the highlight video and talking about all the awards he did, all the, and this was the crazy part too. When Terry Smith was going over kind of the stats and where he measured up in home runs and top five in this and league lead in that and top what, you know, whatever he, he there was so much that he was talking about. And then he kind of like turned the page. Oh yeah. And then the pitching side, and then he went through all his pitching stats. It, it was something where, as Angel fans, I'm sure a lot of you realize how great and how historic that season was last year for Shohei Otani. But when you actually have someone out there saying all those stats and saying how that measured up to the rest of the league, where obviously his batting stats are, are going against guys that bat all the time and then have extra time to work on it. And pitching stats, same way. He's going against pitchers that on their off days are pitching and, and working on that skill. And Otani's batting. Otani's being an all-star uh, at the plate. So when you hear a lot of these awards and these stats and how they ranked, it, it opened my eyes again. Like I already knew, like I said, I already knew how historic that 2021 season was for Shohei Otani. But when you're actually able to hear it and see it on the Jumbotron at Angel Stadium, it was... It was something to behold. It was something that kind of, again, hit you on the side of the head. And you're like, oh, my God, that's right. He did all this while doing the other side of it. And it was absolutely awesome for them to kind of make it all about Shohei Otani giving out his MVP bobblehead that same night. And it all just worked out perfectly. And while this is all going on, obviously Shohei's out there. Uh, Artie Moreno's out there. He got booed pretty good. Uh, Joe Madden was out there, got a, got an applause, and and Perry Perry was out there too. And I was I was expecting a little bigger of a pop for Perry. Like Joe got applause and an ovation, which was good. I was expecting Perry's to get even louder than Joe's, and I don't think it did. I think it was like the same. But I was thinking that fans would know that hey, this this is what you're seeing on the field right now. This great run by the Angels right now. He is the the mastermind he's the architect behind it and i thought he was gonna get a little bigger of a pop than than he did but still he had a good ovation like i mentioned him and joe had a very good um applause ovation when they announced his name but you can tell when shohei was up there under giving him all this credit and all the attention in the world you can just tell he was he was feeling a little awkward up there. You could tell that he didn't want to be up there necessarily and, and pull the attention from everybody else. He just wanted to go back in the dugout, get ready for the game, and play the game. But it was great to give him that stage for the fans that were there. And there was a ton of them. I was there with my wife. We were there in person. There was a ton of fans. And we even mentioned it too. It filled up quick. Obviously, you go to a regular Angel game. The game starts. People are still, you know, buying drinks, buying, buying, you know, hot dogs, buying souvenirs or whatever. So the stands, even though there's, there's quite a bit of people in the stadium, the stands, the seat part of it doesn't really fill up until like the second or third inning when all that stuff is done and you you get what you need to get and you get to your seats. But this time it was, you know, 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes before start of, of the ball game. And it seemed like everyone in the stadium were in their seats paying attention to either Shohei, um, 
in front of the in front of the pitching mound or looking up at the big screen to see you know the video there and it was really really cool to see and it's really really cool to see that place packed like that because like let's be honest unless it was like a giveaway or a big name team like the Yankees or the or the Red Sox or or something like that Dodgers you know the, the stadium didn't seem like they had a lot of people in there or it was okay there's people in the in the stadium but People are walking around, doing this, doing that, instead of actually in the stands watching the game. And then t- on, on on Tuesday, you can tell from the moment that award ceremony started, everyone seemed like everyone was in their seats and, and paying attention to Shohei Otani. And like I said, rightfully so. It was great to, for them to give him that stage, even though it seemed like he didn't want to have that stage and all that attention on him. But I mean... When you do what he does and he what he did last season, you need you need to give him that stage. You do, and it's just awesome to kind of relive a lot of those highlights from the year before. See the MVP trophy in person, have him holding it. You see all the pictures and all that stuff. But it was a lot of fun to see and a lot of fun to relive that season. You see all the highlights and all the stuff they played on the big board was a lot of fun. So to the game we go, and the Angels would get up early in the bottom of the first when Anthony Rendon grounds into a um, regular out, but because Brandon Marsh was on third, he was able to score to make the score 1-0. Still in the first inning with Mike Trout on base, Jared Walsh comes up and delivers. Last night, and that one is going to get down. Mike Trout is being sent. The throw to the plate cut off. That's an RBI for Walsh. It's 2-0 Angels. The Angels would keep adding more runs when in the second inning, Andrew Velasquez, yes, that Andrew Velasquez, who defensively has shown why he belongs on a major league roster. Offensively, you're still kind of waiting for it to come around. Who knows? Maybe this double will help Andrew Velasquez take that next step. So Velasquez, uh, first pitch, rope down the right field line. That's going to score Renjifo. Velasquez, RBI double, 3-0 Angels. We are still in the second inning after a Brandon Marsh sack fly. Trout would come up with the bases clear and do this. Still dealing with a tight hamstring. Mike Trout drives this one to center field. Mike Trout out of here, a home run. To the rock pile goes Trout. His eighth of the season. And obviously now that makes it a 5-0 game. And, you know, like I mentioned before, it's great when you're able to put up runs in a single inning. But in this game, they put up multiple runs in multiple innings. And I think that is truly a sign of a great offense is when you don't only get to one pitcher, but you're able to get to multiple pitchers. And that's exactly what happened in this game. In the third inning, and I mentioned him before, Chad Wallach recently brought up to the Angels because of the COVID um, concerns, the COVID IL stint of both um, Matt Stassi and Kurt Suzuki. In his very first, real quick too, his very first at-bat earlier in the game, he just missed a home run. Just missed it. I think uh, the numbers came out, and I think it said it would have been a home run in like six or seven other parks but just not Angel Stadium. But his second at-bat in the third inning, he made sure he got all of it. Now that one, he drives to left field, and Rosa Wayne is only going to have to look at that one. This time, 
Chad does not miss. Three-run home run is first as a halo. And that would be his first home run as an angel. Um, he spent time on other teams, so some people were saying like it's his first career home run. But no, he I think he spent time previously with the Marlins, and he hit a couple home runs there. So he's had multi, he's had home runs in his career, but this is his first home run as an angel. And that would pretty much cap a little bit of the uh, of the scoring for the Angels all the way until the eighth inning. And that's when it got pretty crazy. Um, in the eighth inning, you had Brett Phillips come on uh, come up to pitch in this inning. And with Brandon Marsh on base, Trout comes up and destroys another one. Trout, first pitch, drives it to the rock pile. Take that! His second homer of the game, a two-run shot. It's 10-0. Brett Phillips isn't, obviously, if you don't know by now, he's not a pitcher. So you look up on the scoreboard, he's throwing... 53, 56, something around their uh, pitches, mile per hour on his pitches. It literally turned into kind of like a softball game with how slow some of these pitches, some of these pitches were coming to uh, the plate. And my biggest fear during this time, obviously, Reed Detmers is in the middle of a no hitter or towards the end of a no hitter. And we'll get into that in, in two seconds. But my fear was if you remember the Chicago series where Michael Lorenzen was in the middle of a complete game, not a no hitter, but a complete game that, you know, half inning before or the top, yeah, the top of the ninth took 30 something minutes, 35 minutes, something like that, where I don't know if it was the cause for him not being able to get out of that bottom of the ninth. Um, was it too long? Was he not able to stay warm? So that was the first thing that was going through my mind was like, okay, Obviously, the Angels at this point have a big enough lead. Obviously, the Angels were up to bat long enough to give Detmers a good break, you know, a, a, a break long enough to where he can catch his breath, kind of focus back up and get back out there. Now, with Phillips on the mound, I'm thinking like, oh, man, it's going to be batting practice and this half inning is going to last forever. And then Detmers is going to, you know, have to kind of warm up even more so than before. And then how is that going to be with his arm? And, you know, a bunch of stuff started going through my head. But part of the funny part with this, and I don't know if Rendon did this on purpose to, I honestly don't think he went up there left-handed, obviously Anthony Rendon, a right-handed hitter. I don't know if Anthony Rendon went up there left-handed because of that. Like, okay, let's have some fun. And then if I get out, I get out. The worst thing that can happen is Reed Detmers gets back out there quicker and he's able to um, get right to it. But (laughs) Anthony Rendon comes up left-handed and absolutely blasts this shot. Look at him. Pretty. Come to find out a little bit later, they talked about on the next day where um, Rendon does that from time to time. He bats left-handed in the batting cage. Um, I guess quite a bit of people do. Now, they're mentioning, I think, Soto Soto and a couple other players, they'll take a couple hacks with their opposite hand during BP to kind of work on, in a way, kind of stretching the body a little bit more and never really seriously take it, you know, 
try to hit home runs. And I, again, I don't know if that's what Rendon was trying to do, was trying to hit a home run or where he was just trying to maybe get a quick out. I don't know. But I think the funniest thing too, is when you look at the photo of Rendon during this at bat, you notice he still put his shin guard on, on the back foot. So I don't know if it was one of those things where he started walking up to the plate and then decided to do it because he already had a shin guard on, but he did have a left-handed helmet. He did have Andrew Velasquez helmet on. So I, you know, I, I don't know, but it's something that you definitely won't see uh, every day. That was uh, Rendon's first major league, I think professional, actually professional at bat as a left-hander. But obviously, obviously, the night would belong to the 22-year-old Southpaw rookie, Reed Detmers. Ground ball, Velasquez throws across, And might I add a former guest on the All Angels podcast. It's crazy to think in a year's time or close to a year's time, Reed Detmers went from opening up a brand new stadium in Double A uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas to starting and making his MLB debut to throwing a no-hitter. It is a fast track like you would not believe, but... Again, as Angel fans, it is something so cool to see that a pitcher, and not just a pitcher that, you know, is at the tail end of his career or in the middle of his prime or anything like that, a pitcher that is, by all accounts, still ascending, still getting better, still developing, throw a no-hitter. And it was great to see, great to see in person, you know, kind of a behind the scenes story with me and my wife. This was a pretty much a last second adventure, if you will. We weren't sure if we were going to go to game. We wanted to go to game because the Shohei bobblehead weren't sure how we're going to work it with, you know, getting off from work and the travel time down there and tickets and all that stuff to a point where I didn't even buy tickets until about, you know, five minutes before we got into the car to drive down to angel stadium. So for us to, be lucky enough to see a game like this was absolutely crazy. But Reed Detmers was absolutely dealing all game long. And you think of no hitters. You think of dominating performances. You think of pitchers on point. And you think of strikeouts, 10, 11, 12 strikeouts in an outing. But Detmers did this whole thing only striking out two guys. He seemed to have everything working for him. He, he, nobody really squared up anything. There were a couple hard hit balls that were into the outfield. And truthfully, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the whole discussion about the balls and dead balls and just they're not the same as they were like two years ago. They don't fly as far. Maybe if this was happening two years ago, they would have been home runs. But you got to play with what the equipment you got. And Detmer took total advantage of it. They came up short on the warning track. But like other than like maybe like two or three of those kind of hits, it seemed like the batters were all off off balance. Very soft contact, pop flies in the infield or shallow infield. You had like like all no hitters and perfect games and, and stuff along that. You do have to have some really good defensive performances behind you to make some of those plays. Uh, there was a hot shot to third base that Anthony Rendon was able to just get up the elevator and snag, which would have definitely fallen in for a single, maybe even a double. So the defense behind him was great. 
Reed was great. He ended up only walking one guy throughout the whole game. And in the seventh inning with, uh, again, this perfect game still going on. By this time, though, he did walk a guy. So the, the perfect game, sorry, the no-hitter was still going on. The perfect game was kind of already out the window, but you, you can still know that there was something working towards greatness. Um, there was a Brett Phillips, again, pops up. Brett Phillips at the plate hits it to Jared Walsh where he fumbles the ball and it should have been a very easy 3-1 put out but because of the bobble he wasn't able to get a, a grip of it and Phillips reaches and when I say this stadium was quiet I you know when you're in the moment and this could be kind of exaggerating a little bit but I swear I felt like you could hear a pin drop in that stadium until the official score popped up on the uh, scoreboard saying E3. And when it said E3, you would have thought he, he, you know, someone would have hit a home run, like Mike Trout hit a home run with the applause that went over the stadium at that time, knowing that the, knowing that the, the no hitter was still intact. Jared Walsh, even after the game said, I never cheered so hard for an error that he committed because everyone at this point, everyone knows this is the seventh inning. Everyone knows what's at stake um, in the game. So like I mentioned that stadium, the, the stadium popped once they got that air up on the board. And then after that, it, it just, you can feel the tension building. Um, obviously I don't know how translated on TV uh, being in person, you can just feel the tension you know, six outs away, five outs away. And kind of like you had the countdown in your head. And with every out, the cheering continues. With every out, you know, people stand up a little bit more until the top of the ninth, you'd see him out there. Pitch count was very, very manageable. And that was great because, like I mentioned, Demers only struck out two guys, so he was constantly putting the ball in play and quick too. A lot of times within the first three pitches of that bat. And I think that helped in this situation because if it's, if he's going into the ninth inning with already 110, 112, you know, uh, pitches, I'd be really interested to see if Madden can let him finish it. Cause again, he is a young arm and find out after the game, Detmers has never thrown nine innings in a single game and in his college or you know professional or minor league career so this is even new territory dating back to before college so you don't know necessarily if that pitch count was at 120 going into the ninth inning if Madden was even going to let him or if he's cautious about it and I know I know Madden has said that when Otani was doing his perfect game or was in the middle of his perfect game he was going to let him pitch it out for however long it needed to be and I said on the podcast that's easy to say after the fact, when you know that the, the perfect game didn't happen and you're able to take them out, I believe, after seven innings in that game. But when you're in it, are you still going to be that bold? I don't know. It, it would have been something really interesting to see, but Detmers didn't let that happen. Like I mentioned, he worked quick. He put the ball in play. He let his defense do the work for him. And he was only, he only he did all this on 108 pitches, which is perfect. That's something where... Anytime you can get a complete game, whether it's a shutout, whether if it's a perfect game or anything like that, if you can pitch a complete game with under 110 pitches, that's great. And for Reed Detmers to do it and with kind of the struggles he had coming into this outing, 
uh, man, it shows that now, <laughs> now you can officially say whenever Reed Detmers takes him out, you know, if he's on, he has no hit stuff because now he's done it. Now he's proven it. And like I mentioned, for a guy that um, had so much hype behind him, again, the 10th overall pick in the first round for the Angels in, uh, I believe, 2020 to, like I mentioned, open up a brand new stadium on a brand new team in double A for the Angels with the Rocket City Trans Pandas later that year, getting called up and making his debut in the majors against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium to now make an opening day roster and now throwing uh, a no hitter at the age of 22. Crazy, crazy. Congratulations, Reed Detmers. Uh, kind of like how I feel with like Brandon and Austin, some of these guys that have been on the podcast in in years past and you know even dating back to like last year like when we had read on it it's so cool to see these guys do great things uh during their professional time with the angels and quick story i think i mentioned this before when i do these when i do these interviews you know you always set up a time you always set up a okay you know i'll sign on at uh five o'clock and so you sign on at you know 455 to kind of get there early just in case anything happens you can kind of workshop it and stuff like that and for the most part, everyone that I've talked to gets on at the time. If it's 5 o'clock, they're on there at 5, 501, 502, nothing real. No one's ever been like super late. But Reed was the first one that was there early. I signed on like 10 minutes before the interview is supposed to happen just to, again, work through any complications with the technology or the mic or anything like that. But he's already on, ready to go, and I and and I really, really appreciate it. It showed what kind of person he is, you know, that whole if you're, if you're on time or if you're you're on time if you're early and you're late if you're on time kind of deal. It kind of shows his work ethic and the hard work he puts in behind uh, behind the scenes to get to this point. But congratulations, Reed Detmers. Uh, the newest member of the no-hit club for the Angels is the 12th no-hitter um, in Angels history. The first no-hitter since July 12th, 2019, where Taylor Cole and Felix Pena combined for no hitter and that and that was the Tyler Skaggs uh, memorial no hitter, if you will. I was there for that game too, which was pretty crazy to think about it after the game, where you know you can go your whole life never seeing a no hitter in person, and then now I look back at it, I've seen the last two Angels no hitters in person, um, and, and honestly too, kind of like as a personal side note, they were very different, very different. To the point where in the game you knew what was going on, so you kind of were like, you know, hanging on pins and needles and stuff like that. But post game was very different for diff- for obvious reasons. Obviously, with the Tyler Skaggs no hitter, you had the pop of no hitter, you got it, everyone's high fiving and yeah, 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 and the cheer. But then it got quiet real quick because that's when the players started bringing out the jerseys to lay on the mound, and it got I want to say somber. But it, there was a different kind of tone to it where in this one, I feel like the stadium was going crazy for three, four, five, six, seven minutes after the final out and the guys were just jumping on on Detmers, getting him with the Gatorade. It got super quiet for the post-game interview that he did with Bally Sports West that they put over the, the loudspeaker at Angel Stadium. But then once that was over, you know, all of a sudden you hear a huge applause again. It was, it was absolutely crazy. It was an atmosphere that was... Uh, it, it was so much fun. Uh, lucky, lucky, lucky to be there. Um, can't believe that me and my wife have been there for the last two 
Angels no-hitter. But this was the first one-person no-hitter since Jared Weaver had his on May 2nd, May 2nd, 2012. And Gooby pointed this out on uh, Wednesday's telecast, and I didn't even think about it. But the guy that caught Weaver's final out for that no-hitter, Torrey Hunter. Torrey Hunter's jersey, 48. Reed Detmer's jersey, 48. So it kind of comes back a full circle with that. Last time the Angels had a uh, no-hitter completed by one person. Uh, but yeah, it was crazy. And again, 22 years old, the youngest no-hitter by uh, an Angels history. I think I saw a list where uh, he's probably like, uh, he's the youngest one since 2017, I think, or 18 to throw a no-hitter. Um, uh, again, with two str- only two strikeouts, there's only been a couple people who threw no-hitters with less. I mean, there's a bunch of little, like like I mentioned, factoids about uh this no hitter, but that that game was absolutely bonkers. That night was absolutely crazy. Um, so much fun, and again, it, it's it's cool to think about it because when Weaver was had his no hitter, Weaver was Weaver. He was like in the prime of his career. He was the guy where Angel fans knew when he goes out there, you're going to get you know his best performance, and he's going to put the team on his back. With Reed, because he is so young, because he's still a rookie. I mean, let's be honest, he still has his rookie eligibility, so who knows, maybe if he throws another handful of great outings out there, maybe he, he's he's in the talks with Rookie of the Year. He already has a huge chip to play when it comes to that voting at the end of the year. But with, with Reed, it, it's fun because you can be like, oh, dang, he's going to get better. You know, he's 22. He's going to get better. He's not at his prime yet. He's only going to work his way up. And so I think that's what makes this different from some of the other no-hitters that have been in Angels' past. Like I mentioned with Weaver, he was already Weaver. He was already – everyone knew who he was and what he can be and him being in his prime and being really, really good. But with Detmers, we don't know what he can be yet. He can be so much more. So that is something as Angel fans – it's going to be so much fun to kind of see that develop over the years with Detmers on the mound. So, again, huge night. Such a crazy night from, like I mentioned before, the Otani Award Ceremony at the beginning of the night to the offensive explosion to Rendon hitting the home run left-handed. It was so much fun to cap off a a series. Well, it wasn't capping off, but like to be part of this series in the middle of it, capping off this 20 games in 20 days kind of deal with a no-hitter. Uh, first one, first first no-hitter of the season by one guy. The Mets had a combined no-hitter. Uh, I'm not going to say anything really too much about that because obviously the Angels have a couple of those in their past. But yeah, wow, what a night. If you were there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So much fun, so much anticipation, so much um energy in that stadium and that is so fun to see with this team playing well the way they are so much so much so much fun um and man i cannot wait to see how he develop read develops throughout the rest of the year will be interesting and this is kind of a side note will be interested to see how he performs though in his next outing like i mentioned first time going nine innings uh career high i believe in pitches and obviously innings and all that stuff so Kind of keep an eye out for that. If he doesn't have a great next outing, that's okay. I think it's kind of expected, but we'll see how it all plays out. So a couple couple updates on this series as the Angels head to Oakland to start a um, four-game, three-night 
series with the Oakland A's. Saturday will be a doubleheader to start making up some of those games lost in the first week of the season because of the lockout. So again, it seems like the Angels, every time they start a series, the conversation is always who's starting and when. They don't seem to have a a rotation kind of set. It always seems like they go series by series. And that is no different from when uh, with this series out in Oakland where you'll have a MLB debut by right-hander Chase Sealseth. Wow, say that five times fast. Um, he is a draft pick by the Angels in 2021 out of Arizona. Uh, he was picked in the 11th round, pick number 321, but he has been spending time with the Rocket City Trash Pandas, and he has been doing really, really well there this season, over five games. He has a 2-0 record with a 1.73 ERA over 26 innings. He has pitched six innings in a couple of his outings so far this year, so it's kind of interesting to see how much they're expecting to get out of him if they are going to try to get him like five innings and then get out of there or are they going to try to you know let him go as for as long as he wants. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. He's going to, again, make his major league debut on Friday, uh, Friday night. So you're probably listening to this right before the game or maybe you already watched the game and this is on your weekend. So we'll see how this plays out. But he did win the Southern League Pitcher of the Month for the month of April. So he has been really performing really, really well at AA. And AA does have a lot of talent down there. Um, it's just young talent, maybe talent that's not quite polished yet. But a lot of guys that are down there are looked upon to make serious MLB contributions during their career. So something very interesting to watch out for, and that is Chase Silseth making his MLB debut Friday night for the Angels. And with that, it's probably going to come with some roster moves. Obviously, Elvis Paguero had been sent down earlier on Thursday. As far as a 40-man roster move, likelihood of seeing David Fletcher move to the 60-day IL to open up a spot on the 40-man roster for Chase is probably what my guess is as far as how he's going to be able to get on the 40-man roster. But those that kind of information will come out prior to the game. Um, obviously, and I said it, I don't know how many times, make sure you follow Sam Blum, Jeff Fletcher, um, Rhett Bollinger on Twitter, send them the notifications, and they will tweet out this information as soon as they know, so you know, as well as all the other Angel fans. So that is Friday's game against Oakland, but like I mentioned, there is going to be two games on Saturday, a doubleheader. First one, Jonathan Diaz takes the mound. When you have a doubleheader, MLB allows you to bring up one guy. Usually, it's a, obviously, it's a pitcher, and it won't count for the options or anything like that. So in this case, I believe that's going to be Jonathan Diaz getting his second start with the Angels this season. Had a very good start last time with the Angels, but I do not really expect him to. Well, I'm not going to say I don't expect him to stay up with the Angels, but it is going to be between him and Chase whether or not they stay up. You can even probably see something as 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 something as quick as after Friday night, Chase getting sent back down to the minors for the Angels to pick up or to bring up a bullpen arm because, like I mentioned, two games on Saturday. You kind of hope that your starting pitchers go deep, but you kind of also have to plan for if they don't. And if one of those games you have uh, 
a short outing by a starting pitcher, you're going to need some extra arms in the bullpen. So you'll probably see, see Chase start Friday, then options Friday night for a bullpen arm to come up Saturday. Second game on Saturday is going to be started by Michael Lorenzen. And then Sunday, you'll see left-hander Patrick Sandoval uh, take the mound out in Oakland. Oakland has been struggling. Oakland has obviously is not the team that it's been in the past. And obviously, if you've been paying attention to 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 baseball within the last you know season or so since the lockout, you know that they traded out a lot of the guys. So the Angels are going to go into the series at twenty one and twelve. And Oakland is 14 and 19. Unfortunately, I, I say unfortunately, but I say it kind of, it's early. But unfortunately for as well as the Angels have been playing this month, this whole season, and they have, they've been playing lights up, but a team out in Houston has been playing a little bit better as we record this right now. Houston is a half game up on the Angels in first place in the AL West, but that's Okay. The, the 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 Astros are in the middle of a 10-game winning streak. That streak will end. Angels will start a winning streak. Like I mentioned, every team goes on winning streaks. Every team goes on losing streaks. But this is really shaping out to be a really good chase for the AL West this season. You have, like I mentioned, Houston at first and then Anaheim in second, only a half game back. But then you drop all the way to third, and Seattle is seven games back of first place. So, Obviously, there's a little bit of gap between first and second place in the AL West, and if the if the Angels can keep tight to Houston, this is going to be a lot of fun for Angel fans going into the summer months and hopefully coming out of summer going into, obviously, August and September. But I am beyond excited for this season. I'm beyond excited for um, this team. And again, this team just seems different, and I can't wait to talk to somebody that has been following this team for all all season long and, and kind of pick their brain about why is it different. But a lot of great teams out there, a lot of teams playing well. New York's playing well. Um, Hughes, like I mentioned, Houston's playing well. Tampa Bay was playing well before, you know, they came into Anaheim, but they are they are still 19 and 13. They're still a very good team. And, and if this team is, if they play this team in the playoffs, there's some confidence behind it now. So, and I, I really like that. But Angels are looking pretty. Angels are looking good. And I think that is what, as Angel fans, just just compete, compete, win games, and you know if you drop a game here or there, that's no big deal. That happens, and it, that's exactly what the Angels are doing. So, Angels are going to start, like I mentioned, they're going to be in Oakland for this next series that ends on Sunday. We will record a podcast Sunday night, and if you have any questions comments or anything like that you can always reach us on our email at allangelspodcast at gmail.com that's allangelspodcast at gmail.com or even reach out to us on social media a lot of you guys do that on our instagram and our twitter ask questions and i really enjoy the interaction with with everyone there and i hope you guys do too but you can reach out to us if you don't follow us already at halo underscore haven on Twitter and on Instagram. And, you know, maybe Sunday we'll do some Q&A as well. Look out for that um, story in our Instagram feed. So, yeah, great, great outing. Great, like I mentioned, awesome 20-game stretch for the Angels. Awesome, historic three-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's looking up. It is very much looking up. This team does look different. This team does feel different. And even if... The Angels, and again, this is going to be pessimistic me a little bit, but even if the Angels go full Angels and go 500 for the rest of the year, 
they are going to make the playoffs. And that is fun to, to, to hear. And hopefully the Angels don't do that. And hopefully the Angels go and prove that they are a playoff contending team where if they get hot at the right time, this team is going to be really hard to beat. And all you got to do is get a ticket to the dance. And once you're there, you get on fire. And who knows what happens. The rest is history. So this season is going to be fun. Hopefully you keep it here at the All Angels podcast and come along for the ride of the season for with us. And again, if you'd like to hear anything different or want to kind of have a uh, different kind of, I don't know, segment or anything like that idea-wise, you can always reach out to us, always looking for any kind of ideas that will make this better. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the season, I do this for the fans. I do this for the people that are like me, that like to watch the games, that enjoy going to the games, that try their hardest not to, to miss a game. And when they do miss a game, they do what they can to uh, look at the scorebook or look at you know highlights to figure out what happened. And that's what that's what I'm here for. So, so until the next podcast, again, recording Sunday night. Get your questions in now if you have them. So until then, I am your host, Dan Garcia, and this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.